Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am joined by women's rights activist, Ayan Said, who is on a mission to change the narrative of how we all talk to each other by better understanding one another. Ayan's personal journey spans sectors, geography, and socioeconomic divides. She is kindly going to share us a window into her journey and what she's learned on the way. As a former teacher in schools and as a trainer and educator, Ayan has honed her expertise in deepening understanding and is now challenged to support business leaders to understand better. Ayan wants to change the narratives about our differences, the understanding that the intersections within us and between us are our strengths that need unlocking. So without further ado, Ayan, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's really lovely to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you. And I was wondering whether we could start off our conversation today, whether you could share a bit more about your journey, your personal journey to becoming the founder of Voicing Voices. Thank you for the question. Voicing Voices has been a lifelong journey for me in the sense of when I was really young and I saw different aspects of inequalities existing in our schools and I used to volunteer, um, I used to tutor in my community and I would volunteer in, for example, within the healthcare system where I used to translate for mothers in my community. And I could see this massive gap between doctors and the lived experiences of community of my community. And then when I got into college and like university, I saw how there was this glass ceiling placed on my peers, especially with females that with our girls, there was always an aspect of a limitation placed upon them. And with the boys, I constantly saw the gang violence taking place in my community. You'd got the high rates of knife crimes that were happening. And I really just couldn't understand why this cycle was repeating and happening. And then when I got into the workplace, I experienced, you know, discrimination and really traumatizing microaggression where you're gaslit and constantly made to believe that you're a second-class citizen. So throughout this entire journey of being exposed to these inequalities, I founded Voice and Voices to humanize the systems that I've experienced and my community has experienced. And I'm very keen on designing safe and inclusive spaces so we can prevent both the gender-based violence that impacts boys as well as girls and having these intergenerational conversations to really stand in solidarity against the lived experiences that marginalized communities have been experiencing. Oh, and talking about sort of, you know, building your business case on something that's such a, a real need and a cause. And, and I've heard you say that you use data and research as well as to- storytelling as kind of instruments for, for changing those narratives. What are the narratives, like getting down into the detail, like what are the narratives that you're particularly focused on changing and, and why is that? I think when it comes to the work that we're doing around humanizing systems, it requires us to show up as humans with our human flaws, with our ways of being without feeling judged or, you know, cast aside for being who we are. 
So the first narrative that I think it's the one that continuously repeats this, these inequalities is shame. It's the shame that keeps the generational cycles repeating and having these intergenerational conversation is an element of saying, well, you know, as time has gone on, there are things we've been, especially with the older generation, there's a lot of things around shame of silence is the way forward. If you speak up, it's shameful, or it could be that people don't feel safe enough to show up as themselves because of shame. So by eliminating shame from the conversation, from the process, we can show up as our most authentic self. Um, So that's one narrative that I'm really trying to work on. Another one is that we do have the power to transform our society. I think we, when we look at gender-based violence and gender inequalities and the disparities that we're seeing, we see it as this massive issue and this thing, or that we don't have enough resources to address it. But I think conversations, I think from my work with Voicing Voices, I've seen the impact just conversations can have. And I think if we, if we take this narrative of a can-do attitude, we're able to address this much more sustainably. And it's also not a woman's issue. You know, the toxic patriarchy and stereotypes impact all, everyone in different ways. So I think by changing that and changing the lens that we're using, we can not be limited by these issues. And I know that you've been working hard to kind of talk to different communities and different groups in terms of these themes and these narratives, and, and one of whom, one of the groups are a business and, and policymakers. From your work bringing voices who are less heard of together with those sorts of decision makers, what have you learned? I think especially with our Bridging the Gap program, where we create dialogue through workshops and training to address the issues that divide us, I found that there's a lot of disconnect in workplace, especially because society created this hierarchy and unproductive definition of what being a leader is. You have employees who might be experiencing different forms of discrimination or or unhealthy workplaces, but they're too afraid. Or again, that shame element comes into this as well, but they don't feel comfortable enough to have these open conversations with leadership. And then you've got leadership and policymakers who aren't aware of the lived experiences, you know, they're seeing the performative indicators or they're seeing, you know, high turnovers or they're seeing different way, they're viewing these issues from a different lens. But if we could bridge that gap and we look at, okay, I've got, for example, um, there's a lack of um, productivity, right? There's a lack of productivity within this space. Instead of it being a thing where we look at it as an employee issue or as such, if you look at it from an individual lens and being like, well, how can, what is it that's causing this? What is the root cause of our problems in these spaces? Then we can really build that bridge and kind of overcome the division that exists and make, create more inclusive spaces. And not meaning to steal the programs, I guess, give us a sneak peek. So for example, if you had that kind of decision maker in front of you, what would be the advice that you'd perhaps give them and and how would you do that? I think an advice that I would give is be courageous to make a difference. Like representation matters. We can't really avoid it, especially with everything that we've been seeing in the media and all the education that's been happening. True representation isn't about tokenism or ticking a diversity and inclusion box. 
we can actually, as businesses, truly benefit from it. There's so much data and research that shared the fact that inclusive workspaces are a great advantage. And compared to like businesses that don't have diversity, so even though we're going through this shift in the workplace, we're going through this shift in businesses. And I think it's very key that we are making these decisions or we're building these spaces with the right representation. And none of us hold all the answers, but I believe that together we can make significant strides. And I want to just step back a bit now in terms of like, you're obviously in a pretty unique position. You get to see and hear those, perhaps those decision makers struggling, but also understand the challenges of representation and making sure that everybody is heard. What are the emerging themes that you're seeing now, here and now? And and why do you think we should sort of really sit up and listen to them? I think, and my favourite theme, and I think the most significant theme that gives me a lot of hope is our awareness about intersectionality now. There's much more awareness on what on intersectionality and different elements of diversity and inclusion, you know, from the race aspect to gender, to the way in which our neurodiversity impacts us, especially in workplaces or in, you know, different settings and communication, communicative spaces. So I think intersectionality is something we should look, look forward to, look forward to and really see how we can implement it into our HR, into our you know, implementation into our policies in every aspect. And the other theme is the digital transformation we're going through, especially with what happened with COVID and how much reliance there was in the digital space. How can we continue to upskill our current employees and um, people so that we can really make sure that our businesses are thriving with this transformation? Because that's the future of work now and it's very evident. But I'm concerned that we'll end up leaving people behind because we're not understanding how, the lack of access for a lot of communities. And it would be remiss of me not to ask what's next for you. I mean, you're, you've, as you say, you've come on this mega journey already. Where do you see it going? What's up for you? I'm currently working on different opportunities that allow me to amplify the need for systemic conversations. Um, and my focus is really on ensuring that we teach ethical leadership and equip the next generation with the tools, the skills, and the confidence to also continue having these conversations. Um, my three-year focus up until 2025 would really be on that because within 2025, 75% of the workforce would be young people. And it's important that for us, that the systems that they're going into, especially with everything that's happened with COVID now, that we're designing spaces where they can truly thrive. And then following that, the next five years will be running towards Agenda 2030 and making sure that we can get as close as possible to achieving the Sustainable Development Goal for Gender Equality, raising awareness for it, and making sure that we are standing in solidarity to ensure that women and girls are part of the conversation, are participating in our transformation, you know, our priority without it being a tick box, you know, something that we have to do for the sake of whatever it is that's um, motivating people. Oh, thank you very much for sharing those. And if um, you're listening and you want to find out more about Ian's work, please do take a look at the words that sit alongside the podcast because uh, we'll make sure we put lots of links in there and I'm pretty certain you can get in touch and and find out more and and get involved. And to close off our conversation today, I'll just ask one more question, which is 
What would be your advice to someone who's listening to this conversation who also wants to make impact in your work? We care deeply about the kind of community and and supporting one another to be as effective as we can. What would be your advice? Patience. I think for me, um, when I first came on, I was really excited. I was really passionate. And there was this sense of urgency, especially with my close relationship with the theme of gender equality and such. So for me, I think it took me at the beginning, I was just, I didn't understand why there wasn't enough urgency. I didn't, and I really had all these ideas and all this passion. And it was difficult for me to, you know, understand a lot of the ways in which I just couldn't understand how this divide existed for so long or how these injustices were just happening for so long. But by being patient with the process, yeah, I think being patient with the process is a big one because uh, especially when you're in this space, you tend to throw yourself in it hundred percent. And, you know, sometimes, especially with social entrepreneurship results don't happen overnight. There are people that are work five to 10 years before they see a glimpse of results, you know? So I think being patient with yourself and also keeping, keeping the momentum going by believing in what you're doing. I think the one thing that has helped me, especially in with sustainability and ensuring that I kept the same energy throughout is believing and knowing what my why was. I think before you touch anything, it's important to understand what your why is and why you're doing it. What is your personal narrative? Why are you doing it? What does it mean for you? And that would help you, that would help sustain you throughout because there is a lot of hurdles and barriers that you would come across. But once you have that belief in what you're doing and understanding your why, it becomes much more easier to progress in the space. Oh, on those wise words, Ian Saeed, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, if you are listening and you want to find out more, I will put the links in the words that sit alongside this podcast. Thank you very much. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.